Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. Um, yeah, I've got, uh, before anyone pops in here, I've got nine questions already. So guys, throw them at us. Uh, I'll, I'll matriculate them here on my end. Um, so I'll start with the top. Uh, which form, in your opinion, is the magic sauce for screening? What's the best form? Well, there isn't necessarily a magic form, magic secret sauce. We use two different ones, really. We use Epworth Sleepiness Scale because it's universally recognized. Um, we do a little bit of medical insurance billing that we're trying to get out of desperately. Um, and they like that one. Uh, the, the one that I find is the secret sauce and the one that we use the very most is one that we got um, by participating with Awaken to Sleep. It's on their forms, um, the forms section of their, their uh, website, Sleep Hero Network. And it's available to anybody that signs up and participates with Awaken to Sleep, but it is a great form. It takes a little bit of the subjective data out of it. I mean, it's always going to have a little bit of subjective data, but it brings in some objective things, things that you can't really, you can't really circumvent. It's just, there's a little more black and white to it. It's an easy one for my hygienists to give a patient while they're waiting on their dental exam. If they suspect takes just a few minutes to fill out, but it gives a composite number at the end, you know, and oh, that's a scary number because look at that number. It gives us something to talk about. So that's the form. You guys wouldn't know what it is because it's not a universal form. It's one that was uh, that was formulated by Awaken to Sleep and I find it to be really, really um, useful. Thank you, man. Uh, I, I'll add to that. Um, guys, I think where, when you use a form, know what you're using it for. Uh, what Dr. Manning said very gently uh, was, Epworth sleepiness scale is required by most insurance companies because it's the gold standard for daytime fatigue or sleepiness. So they have to have a score of 11 or higher as a comorbidity for daytime tiredness, all of that kind of nonsense. Know what you're using it for. The screener that he's talking about, putting it in his hygienist's hands is an intraoral focus screener, which is perfectly helpful for your hygienist. So knowing where your form goes and what it's doing is helpful. Um, one thing that we didn't talk about tonight uh, that bears mentioning in the screening process is as you have questions on your health history, um, add in to do they wake up refreshed? Have they been diagnosed? Do they have a CPAP? Do they use it? Add in, have they been affected by the Phillips recall? Um, that's, a, that's a real thing. There's lots of folks that do have CPAP in that you know, 10% of people that have been diagnosed. Um, that's a lot of people still. And if they've been affected and you might be the first person to talk to them, it's very helpful information to give them, not fear-based, not sales-based, just helpful, but it will start some conversations for you. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to pull several into this. Okay. One person asked what HST is best. And then we've also got, uh, which you're probably going to answer what ones you use, but before I get to that, so which one is best in your opinion and why? Um, but then separate, have you had any contact and what's your opinion about the Medibyte, um, Medibyte Junior HST, the disposable watch pad uh, HST, that's the one that goes on the wrist that you send in the mail uh, or hand out one-time use. And that was it. Okay. okay. I'll Go. be the, I'll be the quick and easy one because <laughs> you're going to get to, you're going to get to hit all the other ones. Um, <clears throat> I've used two home sleep tests. So 
I'm, I, I don't have just this library of home sleep tests that I've sent out right now. I use the ResMed apnea link. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it's been money for years now. The, the, um, the reports are easy to read that actually that report that you just saw was not a ResMed um, apnea link when that one was a good one. That was the Alice Knight one. That was the Alice Knight. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I've also used the Aries Unicorder from Watermark. Um, I liked that one a lot, but not as much as the ResMed. It was a little more invasive. Um, patients did not love that as much. And um, and the disposables were really expensive. You know, my disposables on the ResMed are only $12. The disposables on that, I think were like $57 or something like that. So, um, so now I am down to where I, I sold everything, but my ResMeds. So that's what I'm using. So when it comes yep. to Medibike, Medibike Jr., the Nas 3, whatever T, Nox T3, yeah. I've never used them. So I, I'm going to have to have Michael go through it and he, they mail out the other ones. And so they can tell you what the results have been. Yeah. Um, so I'll be clear. We, uh, as a company, we retail the, um, we have some of the ResMed apnea link airs, uh, still, we also have the Alice Knight ones. That was the report that, um, you talked through tonight. Those are very comparable as far as disposable costs, which is a key factor in selecting your units. Um, as well as the reports that are generated, the color coding, the reports that you speak from, um, the, uh, the watchpad unit, the watchpad one, um, those disposable costs are $100 or higher sometimes um, per case. That's not including the physician interp. So for those of you guys that are, are listening, Dr. Manning had just shared earlier that his personal HST cost is $175. That's what he charges patients. And he and I know that he will often discount that as a special or part of a radio ad or things like that to help get more patients in. He can do that because it's disposable cost and the interp is less than $100. You don't ever want to be in a situation where you're actually costing yourself money if possible in your program. So knowing what your disposable cost plus your interp is, that's going to dictate a lot of how you price your test and how you price your test will often dictate how many patients say yes to it. So the lower the disposable cost, the better if possible. Um, but those, those units, the watchpad ones are very solid units. They're proven to work. They're just expensive to use. And it's a single patient use one patient, one night. If they plug it on their uh, ring finger wrong, that pat probe, and it doesn't actually work. That's another test. So it doesn't, it's not like you can reuse it. Um, okay. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, we have, I'm going to bunch these questions together. Um, which states can you test in? <laughs> I've got one from Texas asking about their state board, which was yes, yeah, <laughs> Texas, God bless Texas, uh, yeah. Lee, uh, you guys take the cake for the level of drama around this decision, uh, between the TDA and the TMA, uh, because all of it was just TMI, but anyway, thank you. Um, Don't forget to tip your weight staff. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. So uh, here, here's the answer, guys. There are a handful of states that have um, opined, meaning the dental board has stated they have an opinion when they've discussed an item and they say that you can or can't do testing or it's their opinion that this shouldn't be the case, that type of a thing. There are only three dental boards that have actually gone the distance of restricting your dental license. 
New Jersey, you cannot own or operate a home sleep test. New York, you cannot own, operate, or order a home sleep test. In Georgia, you can own a home sleep test and perform home sleep tests on patients so long as the diagnostic test was ordered or prescribed by an MD in your state. Um, in Texas, there are specific guidelines as far as being in dental sleep medicine and treating patients. As far as home sleep testing, you guys are a green light to do tests there. Um, so that's also, um, that's also a big deal. So opinions matter to a point, um, but the dental board, unless they've actually gone to restricting your dental license, um, their opinion, if it goes against testing, is actually in direct conflict with the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. They published their official position last, uh, not even last year, it was in 2020, and they've clearly stated that it's within the scope and of practice of a dentist to hand out home sleep tests and work with their physician counterparts for the interpretation. Dentists can screen and hand out HSTs in the dental board or the AADSM's statement physicians are the only ones that diagnose. That's the clear line. So I'm not an attorney or a uh, dental board uh, member. So why don't you guys check your own dental boards, but from us to you on this webinar, those are the lines in the sand. And um, those are the states that have clear laws that restrict the license. Um, also the AADSM has uh, valuable information on that topic on their website with a cool map and all that kind of stuff. If you guys want more information, we can send that to you. All right, next one. Um, why do I need to interpret tests for patients that don't have OSA? You give your quick dentist answer and then I'm gonna give the put a quarter in the machine sleep tech answer to that sucker. Tell me the question again. Why do I what? <laughs> why do I need to have my home sleep test interpreted for patients that don't have OSA? That don't have OSA? So you do a diagnostic sleep test on a patient in your practice. I get the raw data back and realize that, it, that I don't have it. Yep. And then I just get to be the one to tell the patient they don't have it. Yeah. Because, you, because I'm not really equipped to, I mean, I, look. Yeah. You want me to you're gonna get You're going to get a real answer. The answer right now is do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I told you, you get the short dentist answer. Here's the medical legal answer, folks. If you're actually looking at raw data on a home sleep test and you're not having an MD read and interpret that data and you talk to patients, that is practicing medicine without a license. That's not my opinion. There's actually court cases of people that were flagrantly past the line, not accidentally once. It's just not acceptable. Your physicians shouldn't be doing your job. You guys shouldn't be doing their job. And to what Dr. Manning said, cover your own butt. That's a really simple thing. Charge the patient enough to pay for the interp and call it a day. Don't the best, short. The best part about dental sleep medicine is you become the hired gun for a physician that diagnoses. You don't diagnose, you don't interpret. They diagnose, they interpret. And just like anybody else, if I'm diagnosed with high blood pressure, they're going to give me a prescription for blood pressure medicine. If they've been diagnosed with sleep apnea, they're going to give them the prescription for either a CPAP or an oral appliance. And at that point, you are just the guy that's going to help facilitate it. You don't have, you take, I mean, it takes so much off of your plate, yeah. but if you don't do it the proper way, you actually add stuff on your plate ethical legally that didn't need to be there ever, ever in the first place. Yep. And I'll, you know, I'll take it one step further from a sales standpoint. 
I mean, nobody likes saying that word, but when you're in a treatment planning consult and this patient desperately needs treatment and you're trying to get them to move forward, it's really fantastic to have a specialist who's an MD who read their data on a test and you get to blame that doctor for recommending uh, an oral appliance. You can talk about all of their different options and they can go wear the elephant trunk. If they can keep it on their face, that's fine. But somebody else recommended what you do. And that is also incredibly helpful. So don't knock that till you try it. Um, okay, uh, completely separate tangent here. Uh, Dr. Greg Manning, do you use a pharyngometer? And if not, what are your thoughts on the pharyngometer and why do some sleep groups or gurus swear by it? I'm going to answer the latter first. Okay. Why do some gurus and sleep dentists swear by it? <clears throat> because the answer is, I don't know. Um, I don't know why some, you know, the, I don't use a pharyngometer. I don't use a rhinometer. I have had a ton of success. I've never been put in jail. I've never been offered an orange jumpsuit. Um, I have had follow-up tests. I've had patients go back to physicians that are treated and I don't use a pharyngometer or a rhinometer. They're expensive and I don't find them to be anything that adds a whole lot. Now, there are some things that they can tell about maybe some vertical dimension in the way they do that. However, it gives you all of this data. And let me just, I'm in a high horse. Can I jump on the, I'm in the soapbox. I'm in a, I'm in a soapbox for one quick second. Sure. Anybody who is trying to sell you something that that helps you to diagnose somebody with sleep apnea and they are doing any of the diagnostics while you are still awake, does you no good. Mm. I do not snore when I'm, when I'm awake. I am a freight train when I'm asleep. I actually don't walk around 18 times an hour holding my breath for 10 seconds until my oxygen desaturates. But when I sleep without an oral appliance in my mouth, on average 18 times per hour, I do that. So it wouldn't matter while I'm awake if a rhinometer or a pharyngometer showed me where I have potential for obstruction and potential areas where that is going to collapse. If it does, great, treat them. If it doesn't, you can't even, you can't really technically say that it's not going to happen when they're asleep based on position or based on muscle rigidity, right. flaccidity. So there's just, my point is, is that you can treat sleep apnea very successfully at a high, high level with a lot of ethics, a lot of good legal and, and with a lot, with a lot of success without that kind of stuff. So I'm always leery of somebody that's trying to sell me equipment that I can't that somebody has to ask that question. Nobody's asking this question like, tell me again why you would have home sleep testing equipment. Well, I just spent an hour saying, it's totally worth having home testing equipment because of this, 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 and this. I can't do the same for a lot of other expensive equipment that sleep groups and gurus want me to buy. Yeah. Um, so I very uh, unknowingly, I'm going to give a more PC answer than you, which is not Sorry. normal. Yeah. Um, my personal dentist has a pharyngometer. He bought it, I think, 13 years ago. Um, he swears by it. And so I have kind of a unique personal perspective on that because um, I'm, I'm in, Greg, I'm in your camp with anything that is required to be purchased from someone's opinion to help patients. 
all of a sudden becomes also an obstacle. And I'm not a fan of any obstacles in the way of treating patients well and helping them get care. Can the pharyngometer give you vertical readings that you can't get without the sonar machine that it generates? Yes. Is it a sales tool in the right hands of the right dentist? Absolutely. There are some dentists that swear by it and some that can't stand it. I think the truth is that's actually a true fact for any piece of technology. If any of you have cone beam, some of you use it every single day, like clockwork, like Dr. Manning does. You probably couldn't practice without a cone beam now because he so frequently uses that piece of tech. And then there's others of you that have it in your office and you wonder why you bought it. Tech will never be your solution to behavior modification and doing good work for patients. But if you're in that line and it meets your needs, then you got to evaluate it one-on-one -on -one for you. So I can have a, a small glimpse as to why people are so hot and heavy for that tech and yeah. why they swear by it. That being said, please don't think that a piece of equipment is going to fix your ailments in your program because it won't. Well, and I'm glad you brought up CBCT as well, because we have an airway module on our CBCT. I, I take cone beams on all of my sleep patients. We can see potential obstructions. We have software that can show them. It is a great um, screening tool. It's a great, I guess, if we want to say sales tool, helps people to say mm -hmm. yes when they can see things a little bit more. Rhinometers and pharyngometers are going to be able to do that. But again, I would never, ever try to tell somebody that, they, that I feel like their apnea would be mild, moderate, severe, or whether they have it at all based on a cone beam scan with right. a constriction. You just can't yeah. do it. That has to be done when they're asleep. Yep. Cool. Um, what's the <laughs> Susan, you have amazing questions tonight. I'm impressed with your engagement. Uh, she said, what's the best CBCT equipment for airway evaluation? Um, I can I, only I'm, tell you what I have. Yeah. I have, I have, I have Orthofos SL by Dense Plicerona and I have CCAT, the CCAT suite of software. They have one called CCAT Air. It has some features on there that are kind of nice for me in a screening way. It also has some features that allow me to order oral appliances directly from the software. I know there's other ones out there and I'm sure from a screening standpoint and a education standpoint, they're probably great too. Yeah. So I'm going to say any uh, cone beam, there are lots out there that are high quality. There are lots that have the software that color codes the segmented airway. That's a big deal for screening. But when you take a picture of their airway for screening to Dr. Manning's point, it's just a picture while they're awake with muscle tone standing upright in your practice. So consider that. But if you're doing a lot of sleep cases and you're looking at purchasing a cone beam, any field of view, because that's the next question that people will ask, any field of view that captures the condyles is helpful because if you're putting them in a protrusive position and they have to regain their bite, you're not going to hurt their TM joint by pushing them forward, but they can possibly cause some, you know, inflammation in the TM joint if they already have some disease in that. So that's what you're going to want to be aware of. So any field of view that covers the condyles and any software that's going to help you color code the segmented airway. Um, okay. Uh, next, uh, next one. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but what is the lab cost to fabricate a sleep appliance and what do you charge your patients with and without medical insurance? Um, can we just go with, uh, cash fee for yeah. your appliance? 
Yeah, um, because if you're going to do medical insurance, that's we have people from all over the country. We even have some from right. Canada. That's going to be all over the board, and and I don't want to play that game with you guys tonight. Um, our our cash our cash fee, um, I, I believe, is twenty nine fifty for an appliance. Um, we have an upgraded appliance that we use that's a little bit more expensive for us. That is thirty one fifty. If so, we have two different appliance fees. One is twenty nine fifty, and one is thirty one fifty. Um, the appliances can cost us anywhere from 300 up to 600. Yep. Cool. Thank you, man. Um, once you have the appliance delivered, how often do you use an HST to ensure the appliance is effective? As often as I need to, <laughs> I guess I should say, I usually test somebody after I feel like some of the subjective data is falling into line. I usually give them 60 to 90 days. I'll do an efficacy test. I don't necessarily always have that efficacy test read by a sleep physician until I get that in an area where raw data would be more congruent with subjective data, sort of the objective stuff and the subjective stuff come together. Once I have a test where those things meet, I send it off for interpretation and, and, and have the sleep physician read it and interpret it, sign it and send it back just to kind of tie the bow on it. Mm -hmm. But there's been times where I've sent two, three, maybe even four times over the course of a month or a month and a half as I make adjustments to try to try to see if I can get that number better. Um, it costs me $12 every time I do it. I do not pass that on to the patient. I sometimes don't even pass the cost of the efficacy test along to the patient. I sort of bundle that up in the cost of my appliance. So at 2950, that will include as many efficacy tests, including the final signed one as they need as yep. many titration appointments, as many phone calls, fixes, warranty checks, all that kind of stuff. I don't nickel and dime after that. Once you pay me 3150 or 2950, you got me for a year. Yep. So um, let me add some clarity on that, folks. <clears throat> Probably some of you are wondering how on earth Dr. Manning includes all of that stuff bundled into a fee like 2950. Uh, the answer is he's got a calibrated workflow in his team. So he's not spending two or three hours with every sleep case. He's got a team that's actually supporting that process, doing a lot of titration appointments. So he rounds on those like ortho. So it becomes very cost effective when your team is calibrated. Hence the reason, and if there's a plug here, hence the reason to train your team. If you're being a solo evangelist in your practice for sleep, you're only going to do that until you get distracted or you get exhausted. So having people with you that are going to help carry that torch is crucial. Whether you come to our course or you get them equipped somewhere else, please do that because it's going to help you do more work and do it better. Um, okay. One other question we got actually, and I have one for you. Um, so this is a serious one. Uh, did you say the uh, serious brand uh, CBCT? I'm going to type it out actually, because <laughs> I'm reading it as I, as it came in, uh, it's uh orthophos SL and the software is CCAT air. So I'll, I'll oh, go ahead yeah. and type that in. Yeah. Orthophos. Yeah. Um, it's made by dense place Rona. They have a handful of different CBCTs. Orthophos SL has one with an extended view. So you can still capture condos and the airway in the same view. But for me, as a general dentist, it also gives me an endo module where I can really hone in on a quadrant. I can do it for general diagnostics. It's just kind of a good all around. And, and while Dentsply Serona has, a, you know, they're, they're great for what I use because I'm also in their product line with Sarek and a few things like that. Um, they're 
user-friendly. They're easy to use. They're maybe a little bit more expensive than some, but sometimes you get what you pay for. Yeah. Okay. So last question of the night. Um, if you had to pick, would you rather ride a slow zebra across the Sahara on a safari or ride the monster maverick waves in Fiji with the surf pros? That is the easiest question I will ever answer. <laughs> I am slow zebra all day long. I love the water, but it also freaks me out just enough to where if I'm getting pummeled by waves, you might as well just kill me because that's sort of my, that's my hell. Got it. See, I'm the Maverick waves from Fiji all day long. Cause you, Heck yeah, you are. If, if you're going to go out, you might as well go out with a story, right? Yeah. And if you don't, then you have a story to tell for the rest of your life. Slow zebra just think, gets you eaten fast, man. <laughs> you don't think there's going to be stories with me riding across the Sahara on a zebra? Yes. You're, you're wrong. Yep. Oh, Chad. Okay, so apparently we're just goofing off here. Chad said there's still two questions we didn't answer Uh-oh. in the chat. My apologies, people. Um, okay, so first question is, what is the difference between AHI and RDI, and which do you treat from? They're, okay, they're very similar. The RDI, the RDI is basically the AHI with one more small contributing factor. Usually the RDI is going to be one or two numbers higher. Mm-hmm. It will always be right around in there. I use AHI or RDI. It, it, because they're so similar, oftentimes I'll use the same. Um, and, and a lot of times the stuff like oxygen saturation and oxygenation is always going to be the same in both of those. One just has a little, one has what's called RERA, which is respiratory effort related arousals, which can be you causing a, could be causing a wake up from something other than the airway obstruction. Yep. Yeah. The noise wakes you up instead of the oxygen drop. Right. Yep. Um, And then how, uh, excuse me, how often do we calibrate the home sleep test monitor? And how often do you encounter broken parts? The, I don't calibrate them. I think they're pre, they stay calibrated. Um, it's infrequent, but not unheard of to have parts come back broken. Yep. Um, I've had one unit now for since 18, 17, 18, 17, 17. And I, I think that one, I have three units that I've never had to do anything with that one. I've had two broken parts Yep. that are, it's a nominal fee for the replacement pieces um, it's not anything crazy. We have a form that says if somebody breaks it, they buy it, but we've never charged anybody for it. Cause you're the nice guy, man. Look at me. If they break it. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to be clear, that's, that's also uh, one of the factors in looking at your home sleep test. If you're looking at buying one, how long will it last you? What's the average life cycle of that device and how if it breaks, what does that look like? How frequently would it break? Um, you know, when something breaks on a Ferrari, it's a lot more expensive than a Lexus or a Camry. It just is. So depending on what you're looking for in your home sleep test, that's one of the factors that you're going to want to ask questions about. And uh, we're happy to answer those, by the way. So if that's one of the things you're looking at several different HSTs as a purchase um, and you're trying to evaluate them, it's hard to get straight answers about other people's equipment from anyone who manufactures one device. That doesn't mean they're being dishonest. They just only know what they know and they really know their thing, which isn't wrong. It just is. 
Um, but our sleep coaches candidly will give you straight answers on multiple units, whether we sell them or not, we'll answer any question that we possibly can for you guys in, in the evaluation of that for your program. Um, not all units are made the same and they're not all are going to fit everybody's program. So, um, anyway, I, with that, I mean, Dr. Manning, I got nothing left. We're, we're long like normal and, uh, sorry. Oh, Alan is raising his hand. I don't know how to, uh, <laughs> maybe he's giving you a high five long distance, man. All right. Yeah. Alan, if you have a question, ask it quickly or forever hold your peace friend, because <laughs> we're, we're getting ready to wrap this thing. Uh, Greg, I was just going to ask you, uh, parting words. Um, Sam is Sorry, buying was... Alan some time. Sam just asked a question. Yeah, I was going to uh, say that. For CBCT, what position of the mandible do you ask patients to place their incisors on the bite fork? Um, I measure, obviously, the George gauge. I usually put them at 50% of their maximum anterior posterior protrusion to start. Cool. Mostly because I'm not good at math and I can usually figure out 50%. <laughs> and it doesn't hurt people. Kill me, man. All right. Uh, no question from Alan. Parting words. You know, parting words are, this is, again, this is something, this, this is becoming, in my opinion, the new oral cancer screening. I feel like anything that you can do to keep a patient alive and anything that you can do to enhance the life and quality of life of your patients should probably be worthy of looking into. Um, that being said, it sure would be a shame to know that you were screening all of these patients and not helping them yourself. You have the ability, you have the license, and you can have the know-how to do it. My take home is if anybody is interested in this, find a course, get some more knowledge, and get this going in your practice. Uh, I have found that my team loves doing this kind of stuff because it gets them out of the mundane. They start to see patients happy, not because they got a DO on 29, but because they're sleeping in the same bed with their spouse, they're feeling better, they're they're not snoring, they're happy, they've got energy. That is something you can do for those patients, but you might need a little bit of extra know-how. You might need to calibrate your team. You might need to grab some more than just one hour and 24 minutes on a webinar on a Tuesday night. So if this is something where as the course has gone on, you feel like, boy, I feel like this is growing inside of me as something I need to do, do it. You won't regret it. Yep. Man, I got nothing to add to that. That was a mic drop. Okay. Just not this mic. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. We appreciate right. you hanging out with us this long. Okay. Thanks for coming. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine, education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakenasleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken number two sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.